Father, this evening we just come to you for the ministry of your word. We have come to you for wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding, but above all we have come to you for life. Your word is life. And only your word and your spirit can bring and make it our life. That is the life that overcomes. So I pray, Lord, even as I speak, you will give us believing hearts, open ears, the will to obey, that your life will become our life. And we'll continue to fight this good battle, good fight of faith. Speak. Father, once again, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. It's been 40 days, right? Today is the 29th of April, so 11 plus 29 makes it 40 days we've been. We never ever thought what this meant. <laughs> 40 days and Roshan has been glowing because Roshan has never heard so much word <laughs> In Islam, all the others I kind of used to. Roshan has never heard so much word. So finally his name is agreeing with his looks. He's shining. He has no choice. He has to sit there, concentrate and listen. So we are here 40 days and the world is still in a lockdown. Even the easing of it is very gentle, very slow. And uh, we hear it go could go for another 30 days for us. But as the entire world is in a lockdown and in a mess, honestly, no world leader really, really knows the way out. So they have to listen to the experts, and the experts themselves are not sure. Nobody is sure about this. What is happening? Why is it happening? But... We have God. We have God. That's the awesome thing for his children. There is one we know who is in absolute, total control. So this evening, in a particular situation that is mentioned, a record of Paul's life in the book of Acts, when he with a set of people, sailors, 276, if I'm right of them, are traveling to Rome. And they're going at a time they should not have traveled. But nobody listened to him. They listened to the experts. And the ship is caught in a storm. And they all lost hope of life. And they are floating around. And let's read from Acts chapter 27, verse 12 onwards. And they're floating. They lost hope. And in the midst of it, there is only one man who has hope. And that man will stand there and God will speak to him and speak through him. Remember, they are, and all this has happened because he appealed to Caesar. I don't know whether it was the right move or not. Nobody knows because we cannot believe always that Paul was totally led by the Spirit. We do not know because he would have been released otherwise, but he will be in captivity for another three years before he is released and arrested again. So we do not know. But God uses all those things 
for his kingdom, for the extension of the gospel. So let's read the account. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix is not in U.S., but a harbor in Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. The south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire putting out to sea. They sailed close by Crete, but not long before a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Cloda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the surty sands, they stuck, struck sail, and so we were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So on the third day we threw the ship's tackle aboard with our own hands, and when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sail from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no life, loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe that God, I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, took soundings again, found it to be 15 fathoms. And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. So there are they. Okay, like they said, in every crisis, for God's people, it always presents an opportunity. Every crisis, there are opportunities, God. Only thing we should not fear. That's what the angel of the Lord told Paul. Do not fear. And we are a people who do not fear because unlike the others, we know the end game. We know the end from the beginning because it's been given to us. We know in every situation, if you put our trust in God, We are winners. We are more than overcomers. So you will see the sailors over there in verse 29. What they did was they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Four anchors. And uh, that is man trying to stabilize the boat, the ship, with four anchors. But in the midst of it all, there was one man who was standing Because spiritually, he had four anchors he had already let down. So we will go back to verse 22. 
and we will see what happens. <clears throat> now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. It's absolute confidence in the middle of the sea. Remember, this is 2,000 years ago, so they they navigate by by with sails, and they need uh, wind, and they can neither see the sun nor the stars, so they have no guidance systems, there is no power, there is nothing, and in the middle of it, one man stands, it's absolutely sure. He says, nothing will happen. We'll lose the ship. Nobody's life will be lost. And the reason? For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong, whom I serve. Verse 24, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. This is how I titled today's message. First, if you go to verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong. Do you know to whom you belong? Second, whom I serve. Do you know whom you serve? And verse 24, saying, do you worship the God who speaks? And four, therefore take heart, men, for I believe God. Do you believe what he has said? The four anchors for a believer to go through any storm in life. Any storm in life. It is the same. How a ship with all those passengers came without losing a single life. Because one man had these four anchors set in his life. So the first anger we need to let down, youngest to the oldest. God has given us already 40 days and many will get maybe more, 30 days or more. Do you know God? Do you know God? He says, of God to whom I belong. You need to know whom you belong to. Do you know him? Is the question. Peter's final words is in Second Peter chapter 3, 18. Grow in grace, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul knew his God. One of the reasons God's children flounder during crisis during storms, all kinds of storms. Like now the whole world is caught in a huge storm. But God's people should not be floundering at all if you know whom you belong to, if you know God. Because there's only one who is above all the situations of life in absolute total control. That's the record we see from Genesis till Revelation that Men and women just standing there in the midst of unbelievable crisis they are facing simply because they knew God. Know God through the word. Know God through prayer. Know Jesus and you will know the Father. Jesus is the revelation 
of God to us. And even the Holy Spirit has been sent that we might know Jesus and through Jesus we know the Father. We saw a part of it in the question answer session yesterday or day for yesterday. If you turn with me to First Peter chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. Because every day we are hearing the word for two hours in the morning and then we have the question answer. Before that we have all the messages. And why do we listen to the word? Why do we study the word? What is the whole purpose? The entire word of God is the revelation of God. And if it is without that, if we study the word without knowing the God of the word, we will not be able to stand in the hour of our crisis. There is the word of God and there is the God of the word. It is the knowledge of the God of the word that causes one to stand, knowing this is my God. And here, of this salvation, Peter is talking about, the prophets have inquired and uh, searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. All the prophets were searching and they prophesied about Jesus Christ. That's the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would fall. So there was the Spirit of Christ that was in Moses which gave us the first five books. The Spirit of God through Moses showing the life of Christ in each of these people and when the life was in there. That's why we listen to the word like today morning again you are hearing and to David's life and we are looking at where the Spirit of Christ is there and when he's moving away from the Spirit of Christ. So we are learning the life of Christ because the Christ in us is the hope of our glory. Salvation is Christ has come into us. Why will God never destroy us? Because in us he sees Christ and Christ has overcome. That's the reason. He's not looking for anything in any man except whether his son is not there. It's like the simple thing the old timers would say. When you stand before God, the first question, what did you do with my son? And if not, I have to deal with your sin. Only two things, the son or sin. That's all it matters. So that's, and then when you use the term, no, Pastor Vidya was talking about the, the, Apple of mine eye, apple of mine eye. It comes from an etymology of an English saying that basically apple of mine eye is that when you look into your pupil, what you actually see is your reflection. That is the apple of my eye, that when God looks into every eye, he sees his son. And he says, he who touches my son touches the apple of mine eye. Christ is the only begotten Son of God, the apple of his eye. And when he looks into us, he sees his Son. And he says, you are free of condemnation. You are hidden in my Son. That's all God is looking for. God is looking. And how much he grows in us. The knowledge of God is replacing everything in our life. Our thinking patterns and subsequently our behavior patterns. Everything is changing because Christ is taking over. And therefore, we are able to stand. Therefore, the entire Bible, more and more and more we study, is to get rid of us and to allow Christ to grow. Christ to grow. Christ to grow. And that is what the Bible is talking about. The Spirit of Christ is what is prophesying through all these prophets. And above all, to us, the end of ages, we see better than many of them. We see better than probably 
most or all of the ancient prophets we see better. It's incredible to believe, but the fact is that we see better than them because they did not see what we saw. So if you look to Luke chapter 24, verse 44 and 45, Jesus post-resurrection, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He says, you didn't understand. What is all these books talking about? It is talking about me. And he opened their understanding they might comprehend scriptures. So how do we comprehend scriptures? How do we know God has opened our eyes? How do we know God has, how do I know God has opened my eyes? I will know God has opened my eyes when I see Christ here. That's when I know God has opened my eyes. I see Christ. I see Christ. That is what scripture is saying. Jesus is saying, my word is life. In him was light, life, and that life was the light of men. In Deuteronomy, God had told, I am your life. Choose life. Your God is your life. And that life has appeared to all of us. That life is the light of men. That life is the light of men. That's ex- it's, it's, it's earlier the written word was the light. It's more than that. The word has become life and that life is the light of men. We look, we see the life of Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, I want that life. And the spirit makes it life for us. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, 17 and 19, this is Paul's prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give it Give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What? In the knowledge of him. We want to know him. It just, it does not, see you can pray half of it and miss the whole thing. Lord give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what? God says for what? He says to know my son, to know me. Because you know my son, you will know me. Because it's easier to know the son because he's the exact representation of the father and it's easier for him to us to know him because he came in this flesh. He came in this flesh and he lived before us. And verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I would request all the dear ones, including the recently saved one, this should be your prayer every day when you hear and study the word of God. Lord, open my eyes that I might know you. In Philippians 3.10, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, his entire life Search was based on it, that I might know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Okay. Therefore, he could stand in the midst of that storm. Everybody has lost hope except one man. And he's standing there in the midst of the sea and nobody has eaten. And they're all depressed and let's say suicidal. They're getting ready to die, actually. Everybody's depressed, discouraged, suicidal. They have been locked down for weeks and weeks and weeks in the sea. Literally locked down, nowhere to go. They cannot move because you have no wind. And they're caught in the middle of the sea and they're expecting, because they're looking at all their expertise and they realize, okay, there is no wind going to come. This is the wrong season. We are all going to float around and just die in this sea. And one man stood around. Reason? Because he knew his God to whom I belong. He knows. We all say we belong to God. That's not the point. Do you know whom? To whom you belong. If you turn with me to a very familiar portion for us, for many people who are listening, it will maybe be a new portion. Exodus 33 and verse 13 and 14. 
This is Moses standing before God in the tent of the meeting, and this is his prayer. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, look at his prayer. He's saying, Lord, show me your way. Teach me your ways. But please remember, this is Exodus 33. This is not happening on top of the mountain. It's happening down in the plain in the tent of the meeting. Meaning the law is already given. Law is already given. But he says, you can give me the law. If I can read the law, memorize the law, it still not know you. Unless you reveal yourself to me through the law. How are your ways? Okay. A lot of people are just comfortable with the law. But you may have the entire law, memorize the entire law, and not know the God, what you are trying to tell from the law. So he says, teach me your ways. Show me your way. I want to know you. Basically, that's just what he's saying. I want to know you. And we know that famous psalm also that God showed his ways to Moses. He revealed himself. It was a walk. And over the next 40 years, God will show himself to Moses. And Moses went through storms practically every day of his life for the next 40 years. But God promised him something. I will give you rest. I will give, my presence will go with you. So one of the ways we have presence in the midst of this pandemic or anything that follows after this is we know his way and we walk with him in that way. His presence is there in that way and we have rest. Nothing changed. They were still in the desert. The scenery never changed. Everything was the same. We have been locked down only for 40 days. They were locked down for 40 years. And for, for imagine a quarantine for 40 years. Nothing has changed. You eat the same food, you drink the same water, you wear the same clothes. Quarantine till death. That's what it was for them. Yet, one man had rest in the midst of it all. You know why? Because he learned to know God. So the Bible, we get very excited when we read in First Peter chapter two nine. You are a royal. That's that that royal gets us tingling, right? You are a royal priesthood. We love it because we all want to know that we got blue blood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's the one. Everywhere I go from old days, everybody gets so tingled. We are a royal Rajakiya Pujari. That's how they will say Rajakiya Pujari. That Rajakiya makes everybody feel good. In a country that has been in bondage for 5,000 plus years, 6,000 years of caste system, first to get out of it and then to know you are a royal priesthood, like now it gives you a pep in your walk. Priesthood, royal priesthood. But in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, the problem with priesthood. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What is the lack of knowledge? Of who God is. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Priest for me. He says, I cannot let you function as priest because out of the mouth of priest should come. The knowledge of God. The law. The knowledge of God. Priest. If you are a priest, then you know your God. 
you know your God. And others learn who God is from you, from your life. So God is talking about a true priest from the tribe of Benjamin. Standing in the deck in the Adriatic Sea with all Gentiles all around, all around full Gentiles. And he's telling them, hang on, be of good cheer. Nobody is going to die. Why? Because the angel of the God to whom I belong. I belong to him. And I know my God. Okay. Two questions in that first line we need to ask is this. Do we know our God? Second question we need to ask. Do we belong to our that God? You know what the word belong means? Means he Owns me. He owns me. Who owns you? Who owns my mind? Owns my body. Who owns you? That's the purpose of Bible study. The whole Bible study is that our mind is continuously being changed and being conformed to the mind of Jesus Christ. And then... God owns us. Little by little by little by little by little, God is owning us. There is a transfer of property that is taking place. Little by little by little, we are being redeemed. Though we were redeemed in one go, but this is a different thing altogether. Much of the mind was controlled by the principles of this world. Therefore, the world, the enemy, controlled it from behind the scenes. The enemy doesn't come with the two horns and a long tail and all. He has his world system full of ideas. Then when we got saved, God bought us, paid for us. And now he says, I want to redeem your mind. The redemption of the soul. To my Belong. Let's go to Acts 27, verse 23. So we ask this question, to whom do we belong? For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. So if we belong to him, I mean, the, the issues with God's own children are the children of Israel Belong to God. He redeemed them by the blood of the Passover lamb. But they served Egypt with their minds. They did not serve God. You can actually belong to God because he's bought you. You got, he bought you. But the, the greatest deception is by controlling your mind, the devil uses somebody who does not belong to him. And doesn't pay you any wages. That's the worst kind of slavery. You belong to somebody, but you're working for somebody else. No? Working for somebody else. So here he says, no, I belong to my God. You may think I'm a prisoner on the way to Caesar, but I know whom I serve. I don't serve Caesar. I don't serve Caesar. I serve God. So Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. No, Exodus 3 and verse 12. He, so he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay? God on this. The first thing he says is, bring them to the mountain. Okay? I cannot serve God 
unless I know what kind of a God he is, what does he demand from me? So at the mountain, they will receive the law. It's not that they're all going to live on that mountain forever. It is at the mountain, they will have an encounter with God. At that mountain, God will reveal, this is the kind of person I am. Now, it doesn't work that way with your companies in which you work. The You don't know who owns your company as a shareholder. The only thing they're interested is in profit. That's all. It's not our God. Our God is not interested in profit. He wants us to know him first and then serve him. Then serve him. He doesn't want us just to serve him first. First, you need to know him. This is who I am. So that you can serve me in ways that is acceptable to me. He's not looking for service. He's not looking for service. Because all the angelic hosts in heaven, the loyal ones, serve him according to his ways. According to his ways. You shall come to this mountain and you shall serve him. So, the ministry of the teaching of the word is for us to understand the ways of God. The ways of God. You see, when I understand the ways of God and I serve him according to his ways, then my acts become righteous. Otherwise, my acts are unrighteous. Generally, your works are acceptable before God because those works are righteous works. Remember, we have been all been called to do things after we are saved. At Ephesians 2.10, works which he prepared for us even before the foundation of the world. But for those works to become righteous, we need to know him. You shall serve God on this mountain. Exodus 7 and verse 16. 7 and verse 16. You shall say to him, the Lord God of Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. The question is, will we serve him in the wilderness? First, we have to see this world as a wilderness. Second thing is, will we serve him in the wilderness? Right now, everybody is caught in a kind of a wilderness. The question is, are we still serving him? Are we still serving him? Will we serve him in the, to, to serve him in the city? Meaning in good times with everything accessible is one thing. And serving in the wilderness when we don't, literally we don't have our supplies. We are not even allowed to go out like we want. You are in a wilderness kind of a situation. Will we serve him is the question. Over and over and over again, that is the narrative. Let's go through it quickly. 8.1. Let my people go that they may serve him, serve me. 8.20. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve him, serve me. 9.1. Go into the Thus says the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. 9.13. We have to see how many times God says the same thing. Let my people go that they may serve me. 10.13. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I think it's the next thing. Yeah, okay. The question here is this. Exodus 14 and verse 12. The question is this. 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. The world is going coming to that point. A lot of people will fall away from the faith through this. They will be willing to serve the Egyptians and serve God in the wilderness. The question I have to ask is this. Everybody wants deliverance. There's nobody who does not want deliverance. The question is, why do you want deliverance? For what purpose? After your deliverance, who are you going to serve? The question God is asking. I will deliver you. Every plague that was sent over Egypt was to deliver them out of the hand of the Pharaoh so that they would go into the wilderness and serve God. They took their deliverance and they served Pharaoh in their minds. So they died in bondage. Though they were free. Though they were free. So the question God is asking is, is the question is, and all those who have been delivered over the weeks, 40 days, so many have been delivered. You want deliverance. But who will you serve? Paul was a prisoner in the ship, but he was still serving God. Joseph was a prisoner, a slave in Potiphar's house, but he was still serving God. He was a prisoner in the dungeon, but he was still serving God. Daniel was taken unchanged as a captive to Babylon, still serving God. So God is asking this question, who will you serve? And it's a very important question, whom will you serve? In the midst of that turmoil, 40 or how many days, lockdown in the ship, in the ocean, he says, I belong to my God and I serve him. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed for me inside. In Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15, Now therefore fear the Lord, Serve him in sincerity, in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Joshua is telling them, okay, please do one thing. Don't serve the gods your father served across the river and then in Egypt. Please don't do that. Fear God. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away, learn to put away all those other gods which are there in your heart. Put them away. Put them away. In First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3, after Israel had gone into bondage, Samuel is trying to bring restoration. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, put away the foreign gods and asteroids from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. He said, you really want deliverance in your life? From the powers of darkness? Then you have to return to God with all your heart and serve him alone. Now we don't face idolatry in our houses, except the dear Catholic brethren who came out. They have come out and they are really making steps, destroying the idols in their life, which is very visible. But that is easy to destroy. The more difficult are the idols in our own hearts, which are, which only the Spirit of God will reveal if you're constantly with the Word. 
he will reveal the idols in our heart. And God says, if you will destroy them and decide to serve him alone, then you are delivered from the power of the Philistines. The Philistines represents powers of darkness. The ones who wants to overcome you. You know, remember, Saul was anointed with one purpose, that he would destroy the Philistines. And he never destroyed the Philistines. The Philistines destroyed him. You know why? Because he had idols in his heart. He wanted a name. He wanted a name. He wanted a reputation. He wanted to look big and good before the people. And that destroyed him. And how was he actually destroyed? The Philistines destroyed him because there was an idol in his heart. There was no idol outside in his palace or he didn't make any. He's not one of those idolaters like the later, like Solomon and all. Saul never worshipped any idol. Unlike Solomon. But Saul was destroyed by the idol in his heart. He he worshipped the idol of self. He was worshipping self. And that destroyed him. And Jesus has made it very clearly. Unless you deny yourself, you cannot follow me. And many Christians will be destroyed because they are worshipping the idol of self. And that's what Samuel is telling them. So these storms are eye-openers. If you turn back to Acts chapter 27, verse 18 and verse 20, or 18 to 20. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And when neither, you see, yeah, go back to 18 and 19. See, the ship is going. Prisoners are only part of it, but the ships are, ships don't go from one place to another transporting prisoners unless it's a government ship. It's not a government ship, it's a merchant ship. It's all about money, it's about trading, and the ship is full of goods. But when the storm comes, suddenly you realize what is important in life and what is not important. They lightened the load. They lightened the Lord. They were throwing up all the stuff they had gathered in the ship. And I'm hoping in these 40 days, where there is a storm, not in the sense, but what is spiritually shaking people, people have really lightened their load. Perspective has changed completely. Completely changed. You can't even invest in the stock market. Though it is kind of functioning abroad, but... I hope perspective has changed completely. You have light and the storm has opened the eyes of the people. And I sometimes believe nothing is just, they're just waiting for the lockdown to be over. And Lord, I'm not worried about the world. We, we, we don't worry about the world. We're worried about ourselves, the people within the kingdom of God who call upon the name of Jesus. Will they go back to life the same way? Will we have learned the lessons of this pandemic, the storm created by this virus? Have we lightened our Lord? No, lightened our Lord. Is there any sister in the house in these 40 days who is telling her husband, I don't have enough clothes? Don't you have enough? Do we? Do you need all that? It's been sitting there, right, in the cupboard for all these days. Is any child complaining, I don't have enough toys? Any man saying, I want to upgrade my mobile or car? What do you do every morning? Just start the car and switch it off, right? 
So anybody thinking about these things? I hope your mindset has changed. Are we lightening the load? Because God is giving us a very good time to sit back and reflect as to see what is important. Do you realize? Do you realize? No. What is the one thing you hear about everywhere in the world, every country, every government, what are they talking about? Ventilators, right? Why? Suddenly everybody understood the value of oxygen and breathing. Nobody even thought this air we breathed in the lungs was so freely given by God. With our eyes we are breathing in all those duplicate things the enemy had created and we thought this was life. Suddenly, perspective has changed and they lighten the Lord. Okay, they lighten the Lord. They're all throwing, even the tackle they are throwing out. The tackle is the ropes of the ship. They're throwing it all out. It's no, it's pointless. They wanted to throw the, what you call, the lifeboat also, the skiff they are talking about. Meaning they are going to carry in the ship only what is barely necessary. Everything else, lighten the ship because you have to save lives. That if the to- ship is tossed around or something, it should not sink because of the load. Suddenly they realize the only thing that is valuable, you know what is? It's our lives. Nothing else. And there is an awakening that should take place in the world and in the church. The only thing that matters is my life. Which is my life? My eternal life. Am I really saved or not? Am I really saved or not? If I were to not come through this pandemic, where will I really go? God says, sit back and take a real good look at life. Because people plan for everything except life after. That they just outsource it to any man of God. Any man of God. Rest they will not. If they have to send a child to school or pa, they're over every this thing. I want my child to go to that best school. Higher education, they go through entire system, searching, 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 asking this one, this one, everything. Clothes, they will go through entire Google shopping, everything, the amount of time they invest in, even for health and this insurance and that insurance, and they go through the small print, everything. You have to see mothers shop for food, how but one thing they outsource, the most important thing, that one thing that is inevitable for every man is death. It is appointed unto every man to die once, not twice, once. Second death is complete separation from God. And then it is judgment. And how casual everybody is. How casual everybody is. How casual. Suddenly you will realize over this, you know what? They are lightening their load. Lightening their load. They threw everything out. You go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. This is a rogue prophet. He's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. And the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the Lord. Two different, absolutely two different scenarios separated by maybe around 600 years. We don't know how many years. 
One that is a faithful servant of God. Another that is a rogue. Both cases hit by a storm. Both cases the reaction of the unbelievers is the same. Throw the load out. Load out. We need to save our lives. One case, one fellow is fast asleep. The other fellow has heard from God. Not fellow, other man has heard from God. Clearly and says, you don't have to worry. All your lives is safe. This guy says, all your lives are in danger because of me. The only way you will be saved is throw me out. <laughs> this guy is in other words, he's saying that you throw me out, you are all dead. This guy is saying, if you don't throw me out, you are all dead. Literally, because the final stages, if you look in the journey, the soldiers all wanted to kill all the prisoners. But the centurion kept them all alive because he wanted to save Paul. So everybody is alive only because of Paul. Because the centurion believed, I believe what he said. He said, this man, God seems to be real. So he kept all the other prisoners. They thought the prisoners would escape, so the soldiers decided, let's kill all of them. So that at least it will not be told, because if the soldier prisoners escape, they will be killed. So if they kill the prisoners, they will be saved, saying that this was the situation, we had to kill all the prisoners. But the centurion said no, because he wanted to save Paul. Did you see the difference? How a storm changes everything. Storm changes everything. Perspective of life changes. And as coronavirus changed the perspective of life, what is really, really important? That's why God has given this unbelievable time to sit back and really take, measure your life. Think back and see what is really, 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 really important. What is that you serve? Have you asked this question? What have I been serving all these years? Me, 55. What have you been serving all these years? Who have you been serving? What have you been serving? Would you sit back and evaluate? What have you been serving? Have you been serving me? Who have you been serving? Genesis 25, 23. The Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So in me there are two people. The old me before I was saved and the new me which is born of God which represents Christ. So God is saying, this is what I told thousands of years ago to your great grandmother Rebecca. What did I tell her? The older shall serve the younger. That is, your flesh shall serve your spirit. And there is this war going on in you every day. The flesh contends against the spirit. The spirit contends against the flesh. Who serves whom? Who serves whom? Let my people go that they may serve me. God says, who serves whom every day? It's a simple question. It's not that you win in a day, but you keep winning. But you should be knowing that I'm winning more and more and more. My spirit is, flesh is serving the spirit. That's what Paul is talking about. I'm bringing my body under subjection so that the body is serving the spirit and not the flesh. The flesh is also a spiritual part of you. Okay. 
remember the rich man in hell. What did he say? What was his cry? First cry? I? What did he say? He didn't say, I am sorry. He's still serving his flesh. He's still singing about thirsty. And not that, Lord, how did I end here? Lord, have mercy on me. Nothing. Can you give me some water, please? One drop will be too. And he still thinks Lazarus is his servant to serve him. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So God is asking this question. Whom do you serve? Can you be like my servant Paul, who is able to stand in the middle of nowhere and say, I belong to my God and I serve him. Mark chapter 4 and verse 10. Sorry, Matthew 4 and verse 10. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Him only you shall serve. Every kind of temptation is being brought on him. Okay, he's being tested in the wilderness. He's on a 40 day lockdown. 40 day lockdown. Maybe this is happening on the 40th day. Okay, like our 40th day. 40 day lockdown. And he's being tested. He said, away. Ja, ja, ja. Contemptuous. Ja, ja, ja. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. Respective of the fact that I haven't eaten for 40 days. Respective of the fact that I'm in the wilderness. I know who I will worship. I know who I will serve. Okay. The pictures are there all through the Bible. 6.24. Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. So I understand the prosperity theology. I understand it very well. That's why they, there is no suffering in their theology. Have you noticed? Because it contradicts what they preach. Because if you preach gain and suffering, they will hate that gospel. They will not accept it. They will not accept it. So you have to tell them this entire gamut of no pain, no suffering, no sickness. It's all Different kind of overcoming. Because you cannot serve God and mammon. If you serve God, then God says, you will reign. Yes, but you will go through tribulation. You will go trials. You will go through suffering. If you suffer with him, you shall reign with him. So that is there. So either you will serve God or you will serve mammon. You cannot serve both. It is not possible to serve both. So God is asking this question. Who do you serve? In the ship, all those who had loaded the ship to make a good profit in Tarsus or in Rome suddenly realize life is more valuable. So what did they do? They started throwing stuff all into the sea. And every man has to come to this point before he will serve God. Then he will throw mammon overboard. 
will throw mammon overboard. Then only he will throw mammon overboard. Still it is a choice. Still it is a choice. You cannot serve God and mammon. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, the Thessalonian church. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's a constant turning from idols to the living and true God. Then only you can serve him can serve him. And our service should get better and better. I'm not saying it should increase in load. No, no, no. Remember the old illustration? Remember? The woodcutter goes from morning till evening. He goes, he cuts wood, sells it for 500 rupees. It is axe. The butcher cuts from morning till evening and chops it and gives it. He makes a thousand or two thousand rupees. The Chef in that five-star hotel, he cuts it out, decorates it nicely, and he gives it. He makes 25, 30, 40 grand, thousand a month. And then there is surgeon with his little scalpel, little thing. He makes a cut incision like this. He takes out things off. He stitches it back. And then he charges you two lakhs for that cut. But they're all cutting. They're all cutting. And some of the surgeries are only for 25 minutes. It's over. And you pay through your nose. The problem is to cut like this, it took him 25 years to study how to cut like that. From LKG all the way, it took him 25 years to cut like this. Everybody is using something that is made of metal. Primarily, it's all steel. Okay? But the difference is, what did it take you to cut like this. And spiritually also that is true. Okay. That's what he's talking about. This turning to God is a process. And as you hear better and 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 better, you know what? It's not that your load, the physical load increases. It actually decreases. Now much of your time is spent in hearing. Hearing. That's why Milton, when he was blind, wrote that sonnet on his blindness where he makes this one statement. They also serve those who stand and wait. And Kerith, that's what he's doing for six months or seven months or eight months. What is Elijah doing? His ears being fine-tuned to hear. To hear. And we sometimes do not realize it's not the volume of the work that we do. It's whom we serve. It's whom he saw. Imagine Paul hadn't heard. Paul, I believe, was praying. Every night, I believe, was praying. He was a praying man. He prayed. And God sent an angelic, an angel to him, to confirm it to him. Okay? And I believe he did it not because Paul did not hear. I believe he sent the angel for the sake of the Gentiles. 
Because if he had told, my God has spoken to me, they said, what? But when he said, angel, they all believed. Ah, angel, they all know, believe in all these supernatural appearances of angels and all, and this thing, Romans, no, all kind of gods are there. Oh, it's when they hear angel, or maybe Hermes has come, he's the messenger of the gods, Zeus, messenger, all kinds of gods are there. No, So when you talk about even the centurion, surely this was a son of God. Because they have, their gods had so many sons. No, so it is not a difficult thing for because they are all religious in their own ways with so many gods. I believe the angel was sent not for Paul, but for the sake of these other people. And they believed. So God says, are you turning from idols to serve the one and living God? Are we turning? And they with what manner of entry we had to you. Paul said, wow, when I came to Thessalonians, it was so easy to preach to you. You know why it's so difficult to preach today? Because of the idols in the hearts of people. It's very difficult to preach today. It's not easy to preach. It's idols, worry, anxiety, fear, covetousness, you name it, claim it, you can have it. It's all there in the heart. And the word of God struggles to get through. Struggles to get through. Oh, no. The heart is an idol factory. Churning out idols. New, new, new idols. Now 40 days break people have got. They have still created new idols. What all to do when this is over? Because you couldn't spend your money. You couldn't go shopping. So a lot of people have saved their money because you couldn't spend it. Now you are sitting and planning, once this is over, you think only Catholics have Mardi Gras? There are so many people planning at Mardi Gras. And this Mardi Gras won't be in March. It will be once the lockdown is over. Turning away from your idols. To serve the living God. And that's what he does. Hebrews 12. And verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the whole world is being shaken and in the kingdom of God is being revealed in the hearts of his people. Are you shaken in the midst of this? Then that means the kingdom is very weak in you. If you are not shaken, the kingdom is strong in you, which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God. How? Acceptably. We have to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It's not enough to serve God. There is a manner in which you should serve God. It has to be reverentially and with godly fear. And this is the first thing God instituted in the old covenant and the new covenant. Everything is done. Consecration all is done. The high priest, two sons come and offer profane prayer. Boom, they are gone. You want to serve me, you will serve me acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. New covenant church, full of the Holy Spirit, all kinds of things are happening. God is moving with power. Husband and a wife come there and try to fool the Holy Spirit. Boom, both are gone. And scripture says fear came upon the whole church. God says, remember, remember, you have to serve me. I set you free that you may serve me. But be very fear how you serve me. 
serve me in a way it is acceptable to me. Not to the people, not even to you yourself. Not even to you yourself. Because I don't, I can't serve God by, by my standards. My standards may, may look pretty good to me. I cannot serve by the standards of the people. The people may be very happy. It's irrelevant. Acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. I belong to God and I serve Him. And God says in Revelation 22, 3, 4, if we belong to Him, we know our identity and we serve Him. Our end. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. How will they serve Him? They shall see His face, His name shall be on their foreheads. This is the end of service. Those who belong to God, and those serve Him reverentially, with fear here, He says, this is your end. You shall serve me all of eternity. You shall see my face. My name will be on your forehead. You'll be known by my name. You are my, you are my sons. So the first two principles we got. Do you know to whom you belong? Do you know this God to whom you belong? Second, do you serve him? And we looked at various this thing. The entire purpose of our salvation and our deliverance is that we may serve him alone. Because if we don't serve him, we'll end up serving. We'll end up serving, serving the enemy. There is no third party. Either you serve God or you serve the devil. Even when you serve self, you're serving the devil because it is the worship of the enemy. There is no third, no neutral space. You're either serving God or you're serving the enemy. When you serve self, the worship goes to the enemy. That's what the devil is asking Jesus. Just serve yourself. If you are the son of God, why don't you make some bread and just eat it? He says, no. No. If I serve self, I serve God. Okay. That was the first. The first self-service was when ravens brought (laughs) food to Elijah. Second notion of self-service is when the devil tells Jesus, Self-service over here. You have God. You can serve yourself. And he says, no, I will not. I will not serve myself. And we don't realize, no, every day we make these decisions. Let's go back. To 27 and 24. Saying. Verse 24 is what? Saying. That's important. That's enough. What said is different. Different things are told to different people. Say, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that, that's our issue. It's not by bread alone. We have the bread. We have the bread. Bread to hai, roti to hai. That is a written word. Our problem is not with the written word. Our problem is with the spoken word. Saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth. He said, the angel of the Lord stood by me, saying, we have a God who speaks. And he had a man who heard. That's what makes God unique. If you are a royal priesthood, then we should be priests who hear. Right? 
the old covenant priesthood finally petered off because they did not hear. And the, the, the most interesting part of the Old Testament, New Testament gap is 400 years of silence. God did not speak. And nobody heard. And the first man who heard was so petrified <laughs> that was John's father. <laughs> you go to the holy place and you pray and an angel appears and speaks. So what were you expecting? <laughs> It is like Rhoda. No, they have been praying for Peter's release. Peter is standing at the door. She goes and says, Peter is there. Nobody believes her. What were you praying for? <laughs> so many believers would be shocked if their prayers were answered. <laughs> God who speaks. Hebrews 10. Sorry, Hebrews 8, 10 to 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach their neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. He says, everybody will hear from me. Everybody will hear. We may hear in different, different ways, but everybody should hear. That's a new covenant. The difference with the new covenant is that even when I am preaching the word of God, the youngest one who got saved yesterday to the oldest one who has been saved for 50 years, everybody hears. Hears differently, but everybody will hear. Everybody will. We have a God who speaks and we are defined as a people who hear. Right? We live by faith. And faith comes from hearing. How can I live by faith if I don't hear? And we are called to hear. My righteous shall live by faith three times. And if my righteous who lives by faith draws back, my soul will not. When do I draw back? When I don't hear. When I stop hearing. I stop hearing. So hearing is mandatory. It's not an option in the new covenant. It's not an option. New covenant. A lot of stuff we have heard and we are living by faith. And when you, when you sin, you step out, you hear. Turn back. Turn back. Turn back. Because the Bible says, I will guide you. Turn back. Get back. That's not the way. That's not the way. Get back. No, we're talking about daily life. Practical daily life. We are not talking about big decisions and all. Simple, practical daily life. Nope. That's not the way to go. So there are two things over there to hear. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their heart. Okay. Do we have his word in our mind and in our heart? The letter, not the letter of the law. The spirit of the Lord. Do we have it in our mind and our heart? This is the most important part of our salvation. Most important part of our salvation. We have the word in our heart. Hidden in our heart. It's there. That's a language which God speaks. 
the language that God speaks. In Ephesians chapter 2, 18 to 19, let's look at the important part of our salvation. For through him, we have both access by one spirit to the Father. Through him, we have both have, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So all the three are there. See how they work? Through Jesus Christ, we Gentiles and Jewish believers both have access by one spirit to the Father. There is no discrimination there. The Jews, because of his heritage, does not ha- can go th- cannot go through any other way. He can also only go through Jesus. The Gentile convert also can only go through Jesus. The Catholic also can only go through Jesus. Mary can't take them. Sorry, no saint can take you. Everybody has access only through Jesus Christ and by that same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay, He made the way. It's the Holy Spirit. Who takes us to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with saints. And members of the household of. What are we? We are the household of God. Permission ki gharane. We are the household of God. We are not the corporation of God. We are not the organization of God. We are the household of God. This is a fundamental thing we need to understand to hear. We are the household of God. The Son, the Spirit and the Father is working in together that we can go to the Father. And that's what Peter is ta- sorry, um, Paul is talking about. If you go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, uh, New Testament is written in Greek. And in Greek, uh, father is better. Yeah? And family is patria. Patria. Do you know, understand, the entire attack on fatherhood in the world is because God is a father and replacing it with mother. Why the entire mother of Mary was was a duplication to see that no one goes to the father. Subtle ploy. Subtle ploy. Okay, subtle ploy. Imagine this is what God says. Look at the look at the pattern. Okay, look at the pattern so that people can understand. Imagine this is okay simply for illustration purposes. Okay, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and here am I. Pray. Imagine I'm a Catholic. I pray to Mary. Mary has to go to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes it to Jesus. The Jesus takes it to the Father. What confusion. On the other hand, God says, the Spirit of God is in me. It's in me. The Spirit of God is in me. When I pray, it is Holy Spirit that gives me discernment what to pray for and what to know to pray for. And when I pray, the Holy Spirit takes it directly to the Father through Jesus Christ, meaning the way Jesus Christ has made. He has made an atonement for me. So my prayers can go to the Father through Jesus Christ. It is not that the Holy Spirit talks to Jesus and Jesus tells the Father, no, He is the way. My prayers will go to the Father because Jesus has made the way. 
Okay. People don't even understand because they don't study the scripture and has been hidden from the eyes of God's people what it is all about. It is all about God the Father. The entire family on earth gets its name from the Father. This mother business is there in every religion. You know there is a mother in Hinduism. There is a mother in every other religion. Even in Buddhism there is a mother. Everything there is a mother. Buddhism, there is nothing of Buddha left in Buddhism. It's all tantric form of Buddhism. Because Buddha's teachings won't work in Buddhism because you need power. And Buddha had no power. He never talked about power. He never had really talked about God. So when Buddha is gone, his teachings has come down a little bit. The tantric form has taken over. You go to any Buddhist country, it's full of idle, scary looking things. It's all tantric form and it is occult. So you need to realize the entire world religious system is to obscure the picture of the Father. And Jesus came to take us back to the Father. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father. We have to go back to the Father because the entire family of God gets its name from the Peter, Petria, Patriarchy. And what is anti-humanistic teachings against? It's against patriarchy. It's against patriarchy because God is a father. So you have all these reformist movements and all these new, all these churches where they have brought God as the mother and call her Sophia. Sophia. And one set of the Catholic teaching, wisdom is made into a woman and she is called Sophia. And they had a conference many times. They take this conference and all of them gather and they worship Sophia. So that the father can be obscured. Everything comes from the Father. Everything comes from the Father. And we need to realize this is our issue. Why don't people hear? People don't hear because the one who actually speaks is the Father. The one who speaks is the Father. It is Father who speaks. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And everything was void. Everything was dark. And the waters cover the surface of the sea. And the Holy Spirit is hovering. What are they all waiting for? The Son and the Spirit waiting for the Father to speak. And the Father spoke and creation began. Let there be light. That's the Father speaking. The Father who speaks. The Son brings it to us. We understand because of the Son. And the Holy Spirit makes it happen. And they work together. They work together. But the head is the father. He is the head. The head is the father. And our issue is this. Our issue is that we don't hear. You cannot hear. And Paul understood. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And God has put that picture in a home. The father the mother, the children. But everything is known by the father's name. Old days, everything is known. As soon as a woman, she has a father's name. When she married, she gets a husband's name. But her identity is there. It's hidden with the father. It's the father. It is the father. And the entire movements you have in all the isms is basically against the fatherhood of God. Fatherhood of God. Primarily against the fatherhood of God. And that's what you see. Hebrews chapter 2, 10 onwards. 
10 and 12. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Who was fitting for him? Who is the big him there? The father. It was fitting for him, father. For whom are all things, by whom are all things. Remember? For whom all things are, because once everything is subdued, the Bible says, Jesus will take it and give it to the Father. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, bringing many sons to glory. Because the Father wanted so many children, He made the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Because we had to be perfect like him and he had to show us the way. So far, daddy could have many sons and daughters. He made Jesus. Who is he? The captain of our salvation. Perfect through sufferings. And the next verse. 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Who is the one who sanctifies? Jesus. Who are the ones who are being sanctified? Us. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them? Brother, and he calls us brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brother. Even there he will say, you see, first, God has to accept as a sons. Then only Jesus will accept us as a brother. That's the order. You look at the order in which you're going. First the father says, these are my sons. So Jesus says, you are my brother. And he will say, then I will declare your name to my brothers. In the mission assembly, I will sing praise to you. What? This is the elder brother who is missing in the prodigal story. This is a different brother altogether. This is the brother he wants everybody to be. And so the entire Bible is actually about this. And that's how we hear. If you don't get the structure into place of what God is trying to build, we will not hear. We will not hear clearly. You realize this is how the Trinity actually works. They're building a family on earth. And there is a father. No, there is a father. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. To bring us to God. That was the purpose. He wanted to take us to his father. So God the father speaks. But where do we understand what he speaks? It is with the mind we understand. Even now when I am speaking, you are understanding with your mind. That is why Romans 12 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but by the renewing of your mind, you will start understanding better and better and better. What's the will of the father for you? What's the will of the Father for you? First Corinthians 2.14 But natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So our mind has to turn, it has to become spiritual. What does that mean? That's why Jesus said, my word is spirit. My word is spirit. My word is spirit. So the spiritual man is able to discern the spirit in the word. What does God really mean by that? Otherwise, everybody does daily devotions. 
It's not helping people. If you look at the people, I look at people who have been doing daily devotions for 50 years, it's still the same. Nothing has changed. You know why? There's nothing wrong in that practice. There's nothing wrong in daily devotions. But the daily devotions, the word is not becoming spirit. It's a spirit that gives life. It's a spirit that gives life. No? Romans 8.16 Everything has to be spiritually discerned and it becomes life. Once it becomes life, then it has become part of you. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Where do you get that discernment from? In your spirit. Pastor, how will I know I am saved? Malkaria, you will know it in your spirit. You cannot be convinced this with understanding and all. In your spirit you will know whether you are a child or not. You can have all the appropriate, correct verses memorized and still doubt. But once you have the confirmation in your spirit, like Pastor Vidya today spoke about David's son dying, right? I guess it was a son, the child dying through Bathsheba, right? Did he doubt his salvation? No. In Psalm 57, when he cries, does he say, Lord, restore my salvation? He says, no, restore the joy of my salvation. He says, joy is Lord. I will never doubt I am saved, unsaved. I am saved. I am your son. I have no doubts about it. I have no doubts about it. It's not that your Holy Spirit is not speaking to me. He speaks to me too. But I will tell you, when he speaks to me, I don't, I don't feel that old gladness because his tone has changed. Tone has, doesn't our Father speak to us like that? Tone changes. Immediately, how do you, how do you sense it? Suddenly you realize, okay, tone has changed. Tone has changed. The Father's tone changes, the house mood changes. The father is still speaking. He's still speaking. When my father was like upset, he didn't have to speak a word. Only thing on the newspaper covered his face. And you know there was something wrong. He's not he's not happy. Even the way he read, you look at the expression, he knew something was wrong. He didn't have to open his mouth at all. He didn't say he was a man of very few words. Very few words. He didn't have to speak a word. The tone has changed. Everything has changed. Atmosphere has changed. Mothers, of course, is different. When they they don't, the dishes make sound in the kitchen. <laughs> no, that's how mothers make their you know, feelings very loud. But we are talking about the father here. So we have to agree with. That. See, that is a we have to we have the word within, and the spirit speaks. Without the word, it is not possible. Without the word, in the beginning and all, it is fine. As a small newborn baby, God will speak to you, but he won't keep you that way. Because you can be deceived very easily if you don't have the word. And God doesn't want his children deceived. It's very easy to deceive small children. You know that, right? How many small little ones I have deceived when I was small? You know this lychee? Lychee? You know the lychee seed? And you know Cadbury nutties? No, they look the same. I just put it in the packet and said, ah, ah. <laughs> It's very easy to <laughs> very easy to fool a child. It's 
So many ways you can fall. You have to play to their emotions. That's how the prosperity gates. All our children sitting over there, they have no clue of the word. This man comes and jumps and does two miracles and they're all fallen flat. Okay, this is the truth. Because they have no clue what the word of God is. Very easy to fool every one of them. Very easy to fool every one of them. Isaiah. Chapter 8, 19 and 20. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Ah, now, answering the question to all my dearly beloved Catholic brethren who have come out, when you pray to saints, you are actually seeking the dead on behalf of the living. Please remember, it's no, nothing different between their practice and your practice. They are also, when you go to whether it's a Hindu or a Muslim or any one of those who do this to God, and you want to know about their dead, they are also seeking the dead for the living, on behalf of the living. And when you also do go to St. Jude or St. Annie or any of these 101 saints, including the latest in Kerala, Alfonso, all these saints, you're consulting the dead on behalf of the living. You're not seeking God. Your religion is just like the pagans. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. There's no light in them. There's just no light in them. You know why? None of them can give you an answer. Because there is no light. All they speak is lies. All they speak is lies. All they speak is lies. Because there is no light in them. Because everything that you hear has to agree with the word of God. Has to agree with the word of God. So if I have to hear from God, I have to have the word and the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit within. And then I hear, I know. Paul did not doubt. Can you? This is God speaking. Everything that is spoken is from God and by God. Absolutely. The testimony is there. Absolutely sure. So God speaks. The question is, do we hear? God speaks. Do we hear? Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's meaning. We have a God who speaks. What kind of a father is if he doesn't speak? Fathers don't speak too much, but they do speak. No? They do speak. And once they speak, you know exactly, they're very clear. This is what I want. Very clear. You know? Much explanation is not needed when the father speaks. You know very well. Once you know your father well, you know exactly what he expects from you. It's very clear. Now father has spoken. God, he spoke. So we looked at the first three. Do we know to whom we belong? Do we know the one to whom we belong? Do we belong to him? Two, whom do we serve? Third, Does he speak to us? Let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
27, 25, the fourth one. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who will sail with you. Therefore, take heart, man, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told to me. Nobody will die, because I believe what God told. The question is, do we believe? Do we believe it will be just as was told to us? So we have heard. Imagine we have heard. Do we believe? Do we believe what we have heard? That's the fourth part. Two lines, three verses there will change an entire journey. Okay, just two lines. Or if you take the full stop and all one sentence. It will change an entire journey because somebody heard. And he says, I believe. Do we believe what we have heard? Do we believe? First Samuel chapter 27 and verses 1 to 3. The struggles we face. We have to come to poor David, no? He can't help going back to David over and over. Because that's one man who heard. Who heard. Otherwise, how can you write half the book of Psalms? How can you have so many songs? See, writing wisdom literature is one thing. That's like a prof who did his PhD. To write songs is some of your own is something because of experiences you are having. Okay? And therefore you are hearing through your experiences and it is being reflected in your songs. The other is wisdom literature. That is a different thing. That's more of an academic process. This is not academic process. Psalms are life. Psalms are life. Proverbs are life to those who practice it. But the guy who received it did not practice it. That's the problem. The guy who wrote the Psalms kept it. Got it? David said in his heart, uh-oh, that's where the trouble comes. He thought in his mind, thought in his heart, contrary to what God has spoken to him. That is where the problem comes. Contrary. Do you believe what happened in your father's house years ago? Do you believe the anointing you have received? Do you believe how I have led you through the value of shadow of death? I have protected you through it all. Do you believe? Do you believe me? Do you believe what I have spoken to you? Do you believe my ways? I've seen you. I appreciate what you have done so far. You didn't try to become king on your own. You did not lift your hand against the anointing. I appreciate all of that. Will you continue? And he stumbled. He buckled under pressure. Like all these great men buckle under pressure. Have you noticed? So understand it. They all buckle. We all buckle under pressure. Abraham buckled. Isaac did. Jacob did. Uh, Moses did. David did. All these people buckled under pressure. Pressure. Elijah did. No. Now shall I perish someday by the hand of Saul? There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So shall escape out of his hand. So finally he stopped trusting God to help him out. He decided to resort to his own ways, the wisdom of the flesh. David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Akish, son of Maok, king of Gath. 
So David dwelt with Akish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household. So it's a large company. It's not 600 men. It's like 600,000 men plus women and children. It's 600 men plus women and children. So it's a big company. David with his two wives, Ahinom the Jezreelites and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. And you know what happens? They live there. So it was told Saul that David had fled to God, so he sought him no more. It is just like Jonah. These stories are all same. Uh, Sarah gives the suggestion, take Hagar. He takes Hagar, immediately she conceives. Jonah decides to run away from God. He goes, immediately there is a ship waiting for at the port. He looks, he's got enough money and there's one berth empty also. And you think this is God. You make a plan which is absolutely carnal, fleshly, and immediately you realize that Saul is stopped pursuing. You realize, wow, I was right. My decision was right. My decision was right. This is the problem. The devil will create a problem. He will give you a solution. And when you get the solution, you think God answered. God answered. It's not God answering at all. That is why hearing from God is so important. So, so important. Quick solution. As soon as he says, Philistine is gone. Saul is gone. And verse 7 says, the king gave him Ziglag to live, a city, and David dwelt in the country of the Philistines for one full year and four months. Sixteen months he lived. The problem is, you were anointed king of Israel to destroy Philistines. Now you are living in the Philistine territory under the king of Philistines. Your head has changed. Your head has changed. It was better to be under Saul, at least he was the king of Israel, than to be under Akish. Because now you are no longer serving the God of Israel. You are serving the God of this world. and Everything will change. Now you will realize when this man of God under pressure breaks and he's no longer hearing from God, he goes into the world, goes into the Philistine territory, he appropriates the ways of the Philistines. You read from verse 8 to 11. You will see what he does. David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Girsites, the Amalekites, for those nations were inhabitants on the land of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man, woman alive. He killed everybody. Took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkey, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Akish. When Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? David would say, hi, against the southern area of Judah, or southern Jagal, or the southern area of the Canaanites. He's lying all the time. And see that, no, yeah, read. David would say, neither man or woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, David did this. Do you see how completely the man has changed? We know only about Bethsheba. We don't read the fine print here. What happens to a man of God who heard and who was walking under the anointing when he goes into darkness and he will start partaking of the ways of darkness? What does he do? He raids. Those are the enemies of Israel itself. That's that's not the point. He's not raiding them for Israel. He's raiding them for his own prophet. And he kills everybody so that nobody will go back and tell Akish. Because these are all Akish's allies who fight Israel. They are not friends of Israel. But these are all Gentiles. So what does he do? He kills everybody so that Akish is not. And whenever he asks, where did he go? And to that side of Israel. And this side. He's saying, I killed Israelites. Well, he killed 
somebody else over here and he kills everybody man and woman and child everybody he kills so that king of gath will never know and we don't realize what the devil is doing verse 12 akish believed david saying he has made his people israel utterly abhor him therefore he will be my servant for the devil is laughing devil is laughing he says you know what this guy is my servant forever what are you anointed for who are you supposed to be serving whom do you belong to do you know who you belong to do you know who you are supposed to serve you are a guy who heard very clearly right the question is do you believe do you believe that's a question do we believe everything was okay going on like that you are feeling very comfortable your city is built you have been a city and the city is full of stuff you are raiding that side and raiding this side and you are building and building and amassing possessions and everything so you are feeling good because the possessions are anyway the possessions of the enemies of israel so you are feeling good until the problem is one day the philistines decided it's time to fight israel now you are caught in a fix the king likes you very much go this yeah, you go to first samuel uh, 29 1 to 3 which is interesting the philistines gathered together all the armies at afek and the israelites came camp by a fountain which is in jezreel the lords of the philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands were david and his men passed in review at the rear with akish he is with the king the king trusts him and the prince of the philistines said what are these hebrews doing here and akish said to the prince of the philistines is this not david the servant of saul king of israel who has been with me these days or these years and to this day i have found no fault in him since he defected to me See, this is the problem. This is the problem which people do not realize. The problem is that you see, your loyalty and your worth ethics is good only when you are serving God and when you are not serving the enemy. He as loyal as he was to Saul, he is as loyal to Achish too. That's part of your character. That's what God is saying. Your good works will not bring you to heaven. You need to be saved first. So these are all one see you you want to see extremely good loyalty unbelievable loyalty you won't find in the church you find it among the freemasons and you find it in the among the mafia unbelievable loyalty is loyalty good fantastic so loyalty is a virtue in the kingdom of god as long as it is towards god to this day i have found no fault in him The same thing true about David when you are serving Saul also he found no fault in him. The problem you are serving two different kings. Two different kings. This is the issue. And these are the things which we need to know. We you know the people will look at all these things and say you mean all my good works does God said who are you serving those days? You are not serving me. You are serving yourself. You were serving yourself. You were not serving me. You were serving yourself. If you are serving yourself, you are serving the God of this world. And these are things which people need to understand. Otherwise, we will be like him. But they said, "No, we don't trust him." Verse four. 
But the princes of Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place where he appointed for him. Do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For what? With what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? He said, this is war. And the next verse you will see, isn't this a guy's people said he has killed this thing? They said, okay, isn't this guy who killed Goliath? Is this not David whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousand, David is ten thousand. You mean to say that he's going to come to battle against his own people? We don't trust him. We don't trust him. We can't have a we and a six hundred men with them. So the Akish, though likes him very much, he says, please go back. Please go back. That is when the God is working all through behind the scenes. Okay. I have called you. I have chosen you. I am not going to let you get away. So God is working over here where David is never allowed to fight Israel. Ever. Imagine the king of future king of Israel has the blood of Israel on his hands. What a foolish thing he's doing. Can you believe it? You know what he's doing? How you can be so blinded in your mind when you go away from God into the world and people do not realize. This is what people do in, around the world in the church when politics get in. They go into the world, file cases against each other. They don't realize you are so blinded. How can you do this? Don't you know this is the body of Christ? That is what Paul is talking about. What? You went to a Gentile brother against brother. Why did you lose your property? Why did you lose your property? But this is what happens when you do not know who you belong to. When you do not know your God. You do not know whom you serve. And you do not hear. And you stop hearing, you jump onto that side. And then suddenly everything changes. You know what God did? He sent the Amalekites. And they raided his city, Ziglag. Everything was burnt. Everything was burnt. And they took everything. They took everything. Ziglag is burned down. And Ziglag has to be burned down. Everything, every child of God has built in which God is not involved. Doesn't matter how great it looks, how wonderful it looks, should be burned down during this lockdown. Every church that was not built by God, every ministry which God was not involved, doesn't matter how much pride you may take, let it crash so that God can restore you. Because you are not called to serve the God of this world. You are called to serve the living God. Him alone you will serve. Like I keep saying, a lot of people like Abraham, Lord, let Ishmael look before you now. Isaac. Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, you realize you can't glory in Isaac because Isaac was off God. You were old. Your body was dead. So you cannot have any male ego about Isaac. There's nothing about your ego with Isaac. You are totally dead. So God renewed your body. You gave your son. Renewed the body of your wife and gave your son. You know this is God's. So you pride in Ishmael because this was mine. This is ministry. So you have pride in that. But you have no pride in this. Because you know this is God's. But this is what you should glory in. Because your glory is Christ. Not you. The hope of glory in you is Christ. 
it is Isaac, not Ishmael. So Ziklag has to be burnt. And God burns Ziklag down. And they come over there. All of them come. And verse 4. David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until had they had no more power to weep. Good. Good. That's the way godly sorrow works. You're weeping over your loss. Weeping over loss. You look at it and you realize, you know why I lost all this? Do you know why you lost all this, David? Because you are trying to get rich serving the wrong king. Become smart thinking you can play both games. Serve the world and serve God too. You thought you could serve God and mammon. No man can serve both. Blessed is the man whose mammon is burnt by God so that he can ultimately he will end up serving God alone. Blessed is that man or woman whose church, ministry, business, corporation, which was not of God, was destroyed so that he sees the blueprint and says, Oh my God, this is what I was doing all my life. Thank you, Lord, for serving me, saving me. I will serve you alone now. Blessed is the man. He shouldn't cry. should rejoice. It was burned down. Because that was the work of living in Philistine territory. Ziklag is that symbol. But he was a strong man. Everybody picked up their stones to stone him. Verse 5 says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But restoration is coming. When you have nobody but God, that's when you will know it's real faith. That's when you will know Real faith. So many people, real faith will arise only then. Jonah also, he realized only on the third day. Two days he fought in the belly of the, with all acid and glue, goo over him. He still held on for two days. Third day the acid started eating a little too much and then he cried out from, no, he's a very hard-headed prophet. My God, I think he's the hardest-headed prophet in the entire Bible. Imagine on the only third day he repented. At the bottom of the sea, in the bottom of the whale, in the wherever he was swallowed, sitting there. And God is still keeping him alive. I probably saw a big pocket of air was in the whale's belly to keep him alive. Even there he is being shown mercy. And this man also encouraged himself in the Lord. And the narrative changes. David said to Abiyadah, the priest of Imelech's son, Please bring the effort here to me. And Abiyadah brought the effort to David. And verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Finally, after 16 months, he speaks to God. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them. Our God speaks and he hears. That's the key. He speaks. And he heard. The question is this. Do you believe? Paul believed everything he heard. Do you believe? Because a little while it is written. All of them wept so much. They already traveled for three days. 
they have lost everything they have cried so much tired in the body tired in the soul they are tired out the question is you heard pursue you will overtake you will recover all but do you believe hearing is one thing believing immediately demands action do you believe do you believe verse 9 <clears throat> So David went, he and 600 men who were with him and came to the brook where those stayed who were left behind. 200 did not believe. Though it is their own wives and sons and daughters, they said, no, it's too tiring, too tired. We can't go. Again, a division takes place between those who heard and those who believed. Faith comes from hearing. But faith without works is dead. 200 stayed back. They did not believe enough to pursue. Right? Verse 10. But David pursued. For 200 stayed behind. Who were so weary they could not cross the brook before. Verse 24. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part who goes down to the battle, so shall his part who stays by by the supply. So what did they do there? David looked at says, okay, 200 cannot come. They said, we are too tired. He said, okay. He looked at the 400 said, take a load off. Give it to them. Lighten the load. We are in battle. Lighten the load. We don't need all this stuff. Let them take care of it. See, everywhere the principle works, whether you are in a ship or whether you are pursuing your enemy, Lighten the load. Lighten the load. Because you are pursuing an enemy. And the only thing that matters is, do you believe or not enough to pursue? That God can save with 400 or 600. With many or few. If you have heard from God, then the numbers don't matter. You don't need 32,000. 300 is enough. If that is all God wants. Because the battle belongs to the God. And the victory is His. The glory is His. Do you believe? We know the rest of the story on the way, the, the, the Egyptian who was like, all that we know, we have looked at it, he shows kindness, his mercy, because he's being restored on the way, there are tests. Will you be a genuine leader? Will you give up when everybody has given up? That's the key, who's a genuine leader? A genuine leader is when everybody has given up, you still stand there and fight alone. You will stand there and then the others come back, because you give up, then others. That's what happened to Elijah, he ran. Leaders can, can't run, you stand there. No, I, I admire a situation like when the Korean, uh, that thing uh, capsized and all the students died. Uh, the captain escaped in the beginning. But when the COVID-19 cruise uh, liner was facing, the last one to leave was the captain. He waited until everybody weeks together, he waited. And that's how leaders are framed. They don't quit. They leave last. And if decided like, uh, what is the name, Titanic and all, they die with the boat. They have access, first access they have to the rescue boat if they want to leave. But they won't leave. They will die with the boat. Because that's the oath they have taken. You know? And that's a true man. He's, everyone who left lost hope, he did not lose hope. He prayed, encouraged himself with a hand. He said, 
inquired, he heard, he pursued, 230 said, fine, lighten the Lord immediately. He sees an act of mercy that gives him even more strategic timing. He leads him straight. And verse 17 says, Then David attacked them. The battle begins from twilight until the evening of the next day. Aren't they tired? Didn't you already march for three days? Did you lose your whole city? Didn't you weep for hours? And you practically fought from twilight until the evening, almost for 20-24 hours. You think spiritual battle is a joke? If you want the souls, if you want to win the souls of your children, you think it will just come like that? God is saying, you think it will come like that? People think they pray a five-minute prayer and the children and the grandchildren all will be saved and protected. God says, you th- is, that, is that how you recover them? It doesn't work like that. It's a battle. But I am for you. I am for you. A lot of people think God will do all the work. He said, no, my word is with you and my power is with you. But you will have to fight. You will have to fight. I am speaking to mothers. You will have to fight. Even if your children are small and safe now, they are not safe. They are safe the day when they have taken hold of God's hand on their own and have learned to walk with Him. That is when they are safe. Till then they are not safe. They look safe now, but they are not safe. Nobody is safe. The question is, will you fight for them? If you believe, you will fight. See, we want 18 without 17. 18 is very nice. He recovered all. No? Yeah, verse 18. So, David recovered all. Always we talk about, recovered all. But Amalekites are taken away. We want to be, we all, all want to say that I recovered everything the Satan has stolen from me. We don't want 17. We want to forget what was burnt. We want to forget the weeping that took place. We want to forget the hearing that took place when everybody gave up. You didn't give up and you still heard. You want to forget the people who left you on the way. You'll, you want to forget all that you want to forget. Oh no, all that is not part of it. No, 15 people left my church, 20 left in this year, 5 left in the year, 10 left in the year. But I'm not going to give up because I know who called me. I know to whom I belong. Because what we have to tell pastors, are you going to quit? Because people left. Did he call you or did he not call you? That's the question to ask. Who called you? People or God? If people called, then you also go with the people. But if God called, God called, you can't quit. You can start all over again. You can't quit. Because one who calls is with you. He's with you. So he didn't quit. And David recovered all. But the thing is that he fought to recover all. The thing is that Pursue, overtake, recover all. In that God did not say you have to fight. But that is included. That is See, to warriors, you don't have to say you have to fight. No, no, that's part of it. That is fine. You just tell us one thing. It's not whether I have to fight or not. You just tell me whether I will win or not. That's all I want. Fighting, I'm ready. I want to know whether I don't want to fight losing battles. Because if I lose, you have no glory in it, right? No glory in it. So you have to give me winning battles. 
to give me winning. All I want to know is that whether I will win or not. The minute he heard recover all, he said, I am ready, I am going. And he win one all. When you pursue, when you are ready to fight, God will give you the strength to fight too. And this is what God is talking about. Do you know who you belong to? Do you know who you are serving? Have you heard? Do you believe? And in your believing is their action. Second Timothy, as I close, chapter 1, 12 and 13. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. I know whom I believed. I know the person I believed. And I am fully, absolutely, totally, completely persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. This enemy is not going to get an inch in my soul. I have committed into his hands. So he can do whatever he wants with my body. He is not going to get an inch here. I have committed into him and I know he will keep it safe until that day. I know. This is Paul's testament, a true warrior in the new covenant. Because in the old covenant patterns we learn in the new covenant. Okay. So in Acts chapter 27, as we close, 34 onwards. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment. For this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. When he had said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken, he began to eat. Do you believe? He said, I believe. He began to eat. And what happened? They were all encouraged and also took food themselves. In all, we were 276 persons on the ship. Do you get it? If you had read 1 Samuel chapter 30, 17 and 18, you will see David did not lose a single person, not a son, not a daughter. You know, because one man hurt. In this ship, not one man would be lost because one man hurt. One man hurt. That is why it is so the importance of hearing. Hearing. Paul teaches us in the midst of a quarantine, mid-sea quarantine, shut down with no hope at all. There also a man, no hope at all. Here also a man, no hope at all. But in the midst of no hope, they have hope. Why? Because they knew who we belong to. Two, they are very sure who we serve. And three, they knew our God speaks. For they knew we believe what he has said. Believe what we have said. That's how you come out through the pandemic. That's how you come through the pandemic. Yeah. Are you going to die? No. How do you know? Because he has spoken. Work still to be finished. It's not over. There are battles to be fought. Victories to be won. Work to be completed. Many more meals to be eaten. 
Okay, so we shall happily after this break bread. Apukute, we shall break bread. Okay, and enjoy our meal. It is not over until he tells it is over. So we are not afraid. And all my brethren over there who have just come out through different, different situations, you will not be afraid. You will pursue the enemy and recover all that he stole from you. Maybe you were in this circle for 30 years, 40 years. It doesn't matter. Now you belong to God. And he will give it back. Anyway, all those things in the world don't matter. But he will give you back a destiny in the kingdom. And you will pursue that destiny. And you will recover all. Many of you are sisters. You have children. Born through the circle. You will recover them all. Believe I will recover them all. Every son, every daughter of mine will come back from the enemy's land. They will be set free. You have to believe. And every mother, father who is listening, whose children don't believe, family members don't believe, you have to be willing to fight for them spiritually. From twilight to dusk, David fought. Didn't matter how tired he was. and They probably hadn't even eaten for three days. 200 of them were so exhausted. Soldiers, battle-hardy soldiers were so exhausted they could not cross the river. Still that man pursued. And he fought for almost 20 hours. He fought. You have to look at their physical exhaustion and you realize the strength God gave them to fight the battle. So don't get exhausted. Bible says do not grow weary in doing good. And the greatest good you can do is fight for the souls of people you love. There's no greater good than that. That is the battle. Don't get tired. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you. We are all in a battle, Lord. A battle with self. To defeat, to kill self every day. To allow the self to be crucified to the cross. That's a battle. And we are in a battle for the souls of others, O God. And we pray, Father, nobody will grow weary in this battle. Nobody will grow weary because this is a battle to be won. God is for us and God is with us in this battle. And when it comes to this battle for the soul, our own soul and the souls of dust whom we love, God says pursue, overtake and recover and fight. You will not lose for I am with you. And I pray all the dear ones who are hearing will be encouraged. And they will be empowered. And there will be a hunger and a desire in them to know this God to whom they belong. That they will only serve God alone and destroy every idol in their life. Turn from idols, serving idols to the living and true God. That when this is over, they would come back whole, one single person. With an undivided heart, we would serve you, Lord. The singleness of mind. And I pray Lord. People within the body of Christ. Will start hearing. Hearing clearly. Hearing. And they will believe everything you speak. And they will fight this battle. So we take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We bind every work of darkness, every power of darkness. We What we bind on earth, you said, will be bound in heaven. That no power of darkness will move against your children. Doesn't matter when they came to the Lord, they will not move against your children. Not even a dog will wag its tongue against God's people. 
they will stand there strong and they will see the power of God, the salvation of God being displayed in their lives. And dear ones will start interceding for their children and their grandchildren. And they will join this battle. And I pray your people will lighten the Lord. Keep life simple. And realize all these things they pursued were worthless. That we could actually live without most of it. And these 40 days have taught us how little we need in this life. And your word already promises everything that we need for life and godliness. Your divine power has already provided for us in Christ Jesus. That now we will start pursuing the things that matter to God. So I pray there will be a shift in the thinking of your people, Lord. That true warriors will arise in the kingdom of God. Men and women and children of prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. I plead the blood of Jesus over your people. And we speak the blood of Jesus against the powers of darkness. Thank you, Father. We are safe and secure in you. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, Amen and Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen.